listening to Story City Church in Granada Hills, California. We exist to glorify God by leading communities into healthy relationships with Jesus and with others. And here is this week's message. to have Josh Wright, who is, a, uh, el- who is an elder of the Story City Collective, which that term, if you haven't collected that by now, sorry, I was really trying not to use the same word, I need a thesaurus, uh, my birthday's in September. Uh, so uh, he's a, an elder for the Story City Collective, which oversees all Story City locations. So we're really excited to have him here today to, um, to preach to us in 1 Corinthians. So if you would stand with me for the reading of God's word, and just as a reminder, if you're still getting used to us around here, at the end of the scripture reading, I'm going to say this is the word of the Lord, and you are invited and encouraged to respond, thanks be to God. 1 Corinthians 9. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If I'm not an apostle to others, at least I am to you, because you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. My defense to those who examine me is this. Don't we have the right to eat and drink? Don't we have the right to be accompanied by a believing wife like the other apostles, the Lord's brothers and Cephas? Or do only Barnabas and I have excuse me, or do only Barnabas and I have no right to refrain from working? Who serves as a soldier soldier, at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its fruit? Or who shepherds a flock and does not drink the milk from the flock? Am I saying this from a human perspective? Doesn't the law also say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle an ox while it treads out grain. Is God really concerned about oxen? Isn't he really saying it for our sake? Yes, this is written for our sake, because he who plows ought to plow in hope, and he who threshes should should thresh in hope of sharing the crop. If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it too much if we reap material benefits from you? If others have this right to receive benefits from you, don't we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right. Instead, we endure everything so that we will not hinder the gospel of Christ." Don't you know that those who perform the temple services eat the food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in the offerings of the altar? In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should earn their living by the gospel. For my part, I have used none of these rites, nor have I written these things that they may be applied in my case. For it would be better for me to die than for anyone to deprive me of my boast. For if I preach the gospel, I have no reason to boast, because I am compelled to preach, and woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward, but if unwillingly, I am entrusted with a commission. What then is my reward? To preach the gospel and offer it free of charge, and not make full use of my rights and the gospel. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Good morning. Good morning. I know very few of you now, but I know some of you. It's good to be here. I was, I was chuckling because um, last time I was here, I was helping put up some of these and scraping windows. I was not allowed to paint. My painting skills are lacking, but it's good to be here. I, as, uh, as I was just introduced, I'll just give you a quick intro so you guys get a chance to know who I am if you don't know. I've been part of Story City for six, almost seven years now. Um, we live in La Crescenta, so if you hit the snow line, that's where my house 
was. Um, we made a snowman uh, last week, a couple weeks ago. It was very small. Um, but I've been part of the church for now, I think it's six, six and a half, seven years. Um, one of the things um, to know about me and my involvement in that is basically I'm part of what they call the ELT, Executive Lead Team. So just to try to introduce you to this, there's obviously a downtown Burbank location, there's a Granada Hills location, and then there's this board of directors, if you will, who make up um, kind of the leadership group. Samir's on that, um, Jared from downtown's on that, I'm on that as well, and so my job is to help take care of this. I'm not a pastor in my daily life. So just a quick intro, I grew up on the East Coast. Anybody from the East Coast? Yes, all on this side of the church. Uh, I grew up on the East Coast, worked for, um, for GE, did some crazy missile defense stuff for the Department of Defense. If you want to know about it, I can't tell you, but we'll talk about it later. <laughs> Went to grad school out East, I married my wife who's from Philly. Anybody from Philly? I knew he was from Philly. <laughs> uh, married my wife from Philly, um, and then ultimately began to work my way west. Um, worked for Target and retail and fashion for a while. Came out and worked for DreamWorks as part of a startup, and now I do consulting full-time. So if you're wondering, if any of that bleeds through in my sermon, I apologize in advance, but those are all of the things that have shaped me in my background. Um, my wife's here. You, I've got seven kids. Yeah. That's a, re <laughs> a reckless number of children, as I like to say. We're involved in the um, L.A. foster system, which helps you get that number to be higher than maybe you expected in life. So um, you saw Brendan standing up here on this side and Isabel on this side. Isabel's my oldest daughter. So you know her way more than you know me. So super proud of you. I'm glad you're here. Um, we're going to talk about this chapter 9, and actually, uh, it was supposed to be chapter 8 this week, and then chapter 9 next week. We flipped it because um, I wanted to preach, and Samir and I chatted and said, why don't you preach on this? Um, you're not paid by the church at all. You can talk about how churches care for their, their staff and elders and how we think about giving. And so I said, great, I'll do that. I've got no skin in the game in one sense, right? I, uh, I, I get to have my employment outside of the church, and so that's the topic that we're taking on today. Um, I'm going to pray real quick and then we'll jump into this and uh, we'll get going. God, we just thank you for the time today. As, as I've said almost every time I've preached, would you, we need more of you, not more of me. And would you allow us to hear and listen to the word that you, you bring to us today? Amen. All right. I'm going to start my little stopwatch here. Keep us on track. Really interesting thing. Benedicting monks. They have a, a series of vows they take every year, and those vows are famously documented as vows of a life of poverty and a life of chastity. So they don't marry, and they don't own anything. They devote their entire life to following and seeking God and believe that those vows help them accomplish this. Others have vows of silence. You've heard of that before? They don't speak or they speak at certain times. Um, and those are complex and interesting thoughts around what it means to follow God. Does God require us to take such vows? Jainism, if you're familiar with this religion, has monks and nuns as well. They take five vows. First, a life of nonviolence. Second, truth. Third, not stealing celibacy, and again, a vow of poverty. Each of these vows is meant to bring a clear message 
to self and others that the person taking that vow is foregoing something in this world in an effort to get closer to God. But vows aren't always for the monks of the world and the, and the nuns of the world. Vows are also central to the marriage where a man and a woman promise before God and witnesses to live a life consecrated toward each other. Where they forego marrying or being with somebody else who's not their spouse. The question is, how are spiritual leaders supposed to live their lives? Are they to live them different? Are they asked to do something different? Are they required to take these certain vows of celibacy and nonviolence and truth and stealing and poverty? Is that required by God? Let me bring this down a little bit lower. How is a church supposed to figure out how much to pay a pastor? How much to pay their staff? Whether they should buy the fancy donuts or the toys in the, in the kids' room that are on bargain because they've got lead in them. They don't. I worked in toys for a while in retail. We didn't get those. Are we required to penny pinch? These things are an interesting question. They've been asked for thousands of years. But let me flip this for a second. There are several pastors who I will not name who are worth over $700 million in the U.S. There's one pastor that has four private jets. They have Rolexes, cars, houses, boats. We see them making themselves wealthy off of being pastors. They write books that bring in millions. They have podcasts and ministries that rake in hundreds of thousands of dollars. Their speaking fees reach six figures. What was my speaking fee this week, Samir? It wasn't six, it was zero. Because I'm part of this church. There's a part of us that look at all this and feels that something's off. Isn't the church and pastoring about serving? But what does that exactly mean? How do we live that out practically? Maybe four jets feels like too much. And let me show you something else. Can you pop up my first slide here? Look at this. You guys wanna live in there? This is a Benedictine monastery. And they lived isolated in that tower as a way to devote themselves to God. Should we be doing this? It's got a great beach view, by the way. I just noticed that. So it wasn't all suffering. But is this what we're called to do? Should we be spending our money like this? Next slide. These are interesting stairs. If you look, the people on here are crawling up them on their knees. These are actually steps that are found in Rome. These were the same steps that Jesus walked up in Pilate's temple when he was being about to be crucified. They actually took the entire staircase and brought it to Rome. And you can, I probably for a fee, crawl up on your knees as a way to get closer to Jesus. Is this what we're required to do? Are we supposed to be crawling up stairs on our knees? 
How do we determine what's right? For the Corinthian church, this was what they were wrestling through in chapter nine. And this is what Paul was trying to help them understand. We can take that off. That's gonna be fun for a while, but we'll take it off for a minute. Um, in their culture, listen to this for a second. And I've taught about this. I preached uh, last month um, at Burbank. One of the things that was interesting is, is in, the, in the city of Corinth, there was three major temples there. Temple to Apollo, a temple to Aphrodite, and one other. I don't even remember that one because it was such a low-level deity that people really didn't care that much about that one. But there was three major temples there. And the culture and religion of the time, the priests and the priestesses, were socially powerful. Corinth was incredibly wealthy. There was this statement that I, I, I mentioned last time that said, be careful if you go to Corinth, you may not be able to afford it. Anything and everything was available to you. They were deeply thoughtful people. Their philosophy, they were Greek philosophers. Corinth is in Greece. They were 120 miles from Athens at the time. And they said, boy, we can, we can, if we can think about this, we're trying to, they were trying to define morality. And they arrived at something interesting. They said, there's four things, three things you need in life to be successful. Food, drink, and drink was not hydration. <laughs> all right? And sex. They said, if you pursue all three of those things with all of your heart, you will live a happy, healthy life. And they worked in incredibly hard at it, only to find that it did not give them satisfaction. The temple of Aphrodite famously had oh, a thousand prostitutes as part of worship. But the worst part about that, in my opinion, was if you were in their social structure, the lowest social structure was called Horea, the Horea group. That's where we get the word whore from. And they were required once a year to be one of those prostitutes for the day. That was the church in Corinth. This is the situation Paul's going into. This is why they're asking all these questions chapter after chapter is because they're coming out of this lifestyle and this way of thinking and saying, does God have things for us? Are we supposed to change our morality? Hey, last church I was at, we had the, we had the prostitutes as part of worship. Is that, are we supposed to do that or not, Paul? Is that yes or no? I can't remember where that falls. And so he's teaching them how to follow God's ways on this. And chapter nine gets to this questions of rights. What rights does a pastor have? What rights does the church have? Are we striving for four private jets? Or are we striving for a stone cold monastery for Samir to ultimately live in as he seeks God? I'm open to the idea, Samir. <laughs> So here's my first point for the day. And this is the point that Paul makes and I wanna show this to you. We are all called to place the gospel before our rights. Pastors and staff included. We see this in the clearest in, chapter, in verse 11, it says this. If others share the right over you, do we not more? And I'm gonna to come to this in a second. Nevertheless, we did not use this right but we endure all things so that we may not cause a hindrance to the gospel of Christ. So here's Paul's talking to the Corinthians and says, hey, guess what? I founded this church. I grew it. The success could be mine. 
He's not even denying it. He says, this is the church I planted. Corinth, I could be like one of your priests in the temples. They could claim this. I could claim a fourth temple. Think about, think about Corinth for a second. They loved when something got created, some sort of deity poked its head and got powerful. Guess what they did? They built a temple. And it became a huge social and economic part of their city. It brought in so much money for them. It brought in so much power. It was part of the social elite. Paul, are we supposed to do that now? Is this the fourth temple of Corinth? Should we be striving for this? Because guess what, Paul? I kind of like being a part of a church that's famous. Paul, are you going to be famous? Because I want to be part of you. I want to be part of something that's famous. And Paul says, guess what? We could claim the church planted here. I could claim the prosperity or the power that fueled it. But Paul doesn't. And he goes as far as to say he gave up his rights to be paid and compensated as a vocational pastor. That's what the passage is reading through. Paul said, I could have asked for you to pay me, but I didn't. And the reason why, and I love this part, he says that there would be no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. So what is on Paul's mind as he looks at his church and plants it? What's on his mind? The gospel. We're gonna talk about that even more in a second. But Paul says, hey, I'm not taking a salary. Guess what Paul was? Guess what his occupation was? Do you know it? He was a tent maker. If you go to paulstents.com backslash tents, <laughs> I think that's where he was. You could buy a couple varieties. They were great. Um, but actually, he, was, he could have been that, but he chose to be a tent maker instead. You see, Paul goes even further and says this, don't I have a right to eat and drink? He even says, don't I even have a right to a spouse? I'm not asking you to support me. I'm not even asking you to support my spouse because I'm giving that up in order that the gospel may go forth. Here's what we don't get a picture of. We don't understand what Paul thought was gonna hinder the gospel. And I, I love to use my imagination a little on this, so if you would indulge me for a second. Paul doesn't elaborate what he thought would have been hindered by this. Yes, church, I could ask that you pay and help me exist. Eat and drink and pay and spouse. Help me live in this expensive city of Corinth. But he said, I don't need that. And he goes, because I don't want to hinder the gospel going forth. Let me think about this for a second. Paul doesn't elaborate what was hindered. Maybe the tithes in the church were limited as the lower class made up the city, the church. Maybe he was planting in a neighborhood that was tough. Maybe they were looking to reach new parts of the city and needed those puns for a mission. Maybe they had to rent a building and the costs were high because like Corinth, it was not, like LA and Corinth, it was not cheap to live. Maybe they were looking to plant a church in a different neighborhood or a city nearby and they were saving that money to send out someone from their church to go plant. Maybe there were tons of children in the, in, the, in the church and they needed to hire a children's ministry director. Maybe they'd bought the lead-based toys and needed to buy the non-lead-based toys now. I like that joke. It's not funny, but it's funny. Maybe they were serving meals to the needy. Maybe the temple prostitutes were getting saved and did no source of income and they were paying for their housing. People does, Paul doesn't say what hindrances they caused, but it was clear that Paul gave up his right to be cared for financially so that the funds of the church could go into furthering the gospel. 
And knowing Paul and his desire to see churches planted, Paul wanted to see Corinth multiply itself through discipling those in the church and then sending them out to share the gospel. Chapter eight, which you'll get to next week, we flipped it, is all about rights again. And the same question comes up in chapter eight, which says, hey, you have rights. You could do that. But are you willing to give up your right in order for the gospel to go forth? Church, if we're to be a healthy and vibrant church that reaches our city, we need to be willing to give up the rights so that our city may make much of God, not much of our preachers and our name. And that goes for pastors, staff, and teams. By the way, we're never, we hope we'll never be, qualified that a little bit, a church that seeks to become wealthy or famous. That is not our goal. If you like a wealthy, famous church, Story City will not be the place. You'll not enjoy it because we're not aiming to be wealthy or famous. We know from our passage that Paul, like I said, was a tent maker, and he made that living there, and he saw that that was a way for him to care for and help the church. Our leadership and staff are not the only ones. Each of us are followers of Christ who are called to give up our rights to see the gospel spread. This isn't a staff pastor question. This is a church question answered a little bit differently for staff and pastor, but certainly the same. The Bible calls the church a body with Christ as the head. And listen to this. Did Jesus not do what he's calling us to do? He gave up his right to be God. And he was God, but he came as a form of a man. He humbled himself and then did what? Died on the cross. Gave up his right to life so that what? Others might be saved. And I think we're never called to do something that Jesus doesn't call us or show that he can do. We're not asked to do anything that Jesus has not already done and has not already provided examples for. Does that make sense? The day we get a private jet, I'll have been gone way before that. (laughs) But we're not going to be a church that pursues private jets. Here's my second point. We are all called to care for those who make their living serving the church. If you were paying attention to the really long passage that I made him read this morning, there's references to oxen, cattle, and all that is really just a point to make that says this, we, by giving up our rights, are not, is not the only point that Paul makes. He goes on to make the point that the Corinthian church should care for its leaders and staff. If the reason Paul gave up his rights was so that the gospel went forth, his call to care for the pastors and staff of the church is so that the gospel can go forward. Do you see the tension point here? Some of you, some are called to make the living in the gospel, either as pastors or staff, and they are to be cared for by the church. Paul specifically makes mention of this financial support. But if you'll allow me, I want to expand this just a little bit bigger than just financial need. I want to propose that when our leaders and staff are cared for, that they in turn can care for the church better. And when they can care for the church better, we can care for our community better. And we can care for our community better, we can care for the valley better. 
and lives are changed and hearts are made new. At Story City, we're very deliberate in how we think about and bring in pastors and staff. We want a clear and specific way that they're brought in to make sure we can support them. We've spent time this past year, if some of you have been around, establishing a better way for us to organize ourselves so that we can care for each level at our church. My job, one of my jobs on the ELT, is to care for Jared and Samir. I am there to care and help and understand what the needs are they have. That's a lonely job to be a pastor. And that's part of what I get to do. Before we planted Granada Hills, Jared, the downtown lead pastor, had 18 direct reports. That's way too many. That means he can't do his job well. So we need to care for that. But then we get to hire people and bring in other talented directors and pastors to help. Guess what that takes? Takes money, takes time, takes effort, all so that we can live out this passage, which is what does the care look like? And how can we best put the gospel forward? He now has, I think it's four or five direct reports. And he has directors as a part of that. And some of the directors are here today. And the directors sit above the two campuses. So they help across both campuses. And then there's ADs, which are assistant directors. I always say associate. Assistant directors. And you've heard people mention that as part of their name. We're trying to get so that people have three or four or five people. That's it to care for in this structure. That allows us to do a better job of caring for each other and those underneath us. And the reason we do that is so why? the gospel can go forth. When we burn out our people and go through pastors every two years because we're burning them out, is that a proper care of them or the gospel? When we burn out our people, when we don't think about how we care for them, that is not good. But it's not just structure, it's how we spend our money. Church, yes, we have a budget, but guess what? Our budget comes from you. We're a nonprofit organization, which means what we take in comes from those who attend. We pay for our staff, our pastors through giving. We pay for the snacks. We pay for the electric bill. We pay for the trash bill. Anybody love knowing that their money's going to pay for taking out trash? Right? We always want that, that fun, interesting thing, right? I love that, that there was a while, there was like adopt a goat, right? Remember like, hey, you want to help a kid in Africa? Adopt a goat. And I was like, yeah, I want to adopt a goat. But actually, probably most of that went to like overhead and like all these other things. But nobody said, hey, do you want to pay for printing paper? Like, that's just not as much fun as adopting a goat. So, adopt a goat. The tension of the passage that Paul brings is he's telling the church to be generous in their giving so that the gospel may go forth. With our budget, we want our staff, we want to care for our staff well. We won't, don't want them to scrape by. We don't want them to go, sorry your power's out this week because you couldn't pay that bill. That's not a helpful way to care for our pastors and staff. That means that they're living in tension and hardship and it means that they're unable to do their job to the best of their ability. We want our staff and roles to grow at each campus. We want to be able to say yes to more needs that come up. We want to say yes to the fancy snacks and nursery. 
We want to reach out to the kids in foster care in our area and help. We want to care for the moms and dads who are working toward reunification in the foster system. We actually probably have a billion dollars worth of ideas in our staff and leadership. And we always will. Church, we want to pay our staff more. Right now, there are many who volunteer and volunteer a great deal of time. We want, we live in that tension of going, thank you, but I think we should probably be caring and trying to help bring that. We have roles we want to fill. We feel the tension that Paul mentions when he says to the church ought to care. We want to be fair. We want to recognize inflation. We don't want to say, hey, I'm sorry, but driving's more expensive. We want to be able to care across the board. We want to build healthy teams that have coverage when people go on vacation. We want people to take their vacation so they can rest. Asking our leaders here to give up their rights, which we ask each of our staff and leaders to say, is there something, is there a way, what rights, how are we giving up our rights so that the gospel may go forward? But also, church, how do we be generous so that they can live and serve us well? But it's not just order and finances. We want to care for our staff and their souls. And this is more nuanced. I mentioned this to you before. Part of my job is to look after and care for Jared and Samir specifically. Besides my family, my wife, and my reckless number of children we've got, I look after Jared and Samir. They're similar at times. It means we spend our time and this past Friday, Samir, Jared, and I spent, what, four hours together working through our goals, talking through, being in each other's lives, talking and asking hard questions of each other. It means that we encourage each other. It means that we help. It means that I help intercept things so that they don't have to experience them. It means our staff understands the plans and our goals. It means that we make decisions and have courage to make the call. It means we delegate, Right? We don't want all the questions going back uphill. It means we disperse. It means that Jared and Samir do not have all the power at any campus. They disperse that. They allow others to make decisions. We separate our finances out so that there is no moment that we're having some sort of indiscretion or moment of challenge. It means that if someone's not healthy on staff, we'd rather do less and get healthy then drive them into the ground. That means our pace is slower sometimes because we're not going to move at a pace that goes through people at a rate that says, great, thanks for helping out. Two years from now, good luck with whatever shambled mess you are because you've given. That's not appropriate. That's not okay. That's not care for our staff. I love, if you call Story City home, You are called to be part of the care for those who make vocation their job. That's what Paul says. He refers to them as oxen and says, hey, aren't oxen even allowed to eat when they're doing their job? They used to plow and used to nibble along the way. Guess what? We have the same philosophy here. How do we care for well those and how do we wait on God for the growth and expansion that we need? Does that make sense? Here's my last, oh, 
before we get to my last point, I have two stories. I like stories. Just practical stories. There's a pastor that I knew who um, did well with a book that he wrote. Let's just say that. And by well, we mean millions of dollars worth of book money. His car was simple, his house was simple. Because he made a, a specific fund that said, I don't need any of that money. And once a year around Christmas time, I don't know why it was Christmas, they went out to dinner with a group of people that were on that board. And guess what they did over that, Chris, over that dinner? They figured out how to spend every penny of it. Not on dinner, <laughs> but on specific missions that they were invested in. And was that his right? He could have kept the money that was made. I love that heart behind that, that said, I don't even want to touch it. He was so afraid of what it would do that he made sure there was others who are managing what that was. And every year he said, I want to write again. And then that would bring in more money, which would allow not him to become wealthy, but that the gospel would what? Go forth. They were committed to that. It's another family in LA that I know personally that had house kind of money and they bought a second home and they said this house is dedicated to God so however the church needs it it'll be used for that and people have stayed in that home and have been able to be part of the gospel because somebody was able to provide a second home but those aren't only those are stories of money that's not the only ones some of you are like I've got five dollars and sixteen cents left that's it I'm not asking for that. I'm just saying, what are some of the ways? How do we express that? Some of you give your time. And I appreciate that. We appreciate that. LA is not a simple city to plant churches in. It's expensive, which means everybody's working hard to try to make it and live, and yet it's expensive. And so we will grow at the pace in which God allows us to. And we're not afraid of an expensive city. Corinth was an expensive city. And they figured out how they could bring the gospel and expand based on that. Make sense? Here's my last point. Our reward for giving up our rights is the gospel being spread. I think I've mentioned that now three or four times, maybe eight times already in this. Let me tell you something. Do you know that Paul, who wrote Corinth, had a story of really interesting redemption. I don't know if you know his story, but Paul founded the church of Corinth and was a missionary across Europe. He planted many churches and he started out to ministry, but not in a very normal way. See, Paul's past was interesting and complex. Paul actually started his life opposed to everything that Christianity had. He hated the church. He persecuted the church and he was either directly were indirectly involved in murdering leaders within the church. That's Paul. That's the guy who's writing this story right here. And I'm convinced of something in my own heart at this. As he's traveling, he's not just writing this to a city that just is abstract. He's writing and saying, I want the gospel to go forward because he knew his own story. My guess is that each one of you here has a person or persons or a church that reached out that helped you, that showed you the gospel, and changed your life. Paul was the same way. He actually spent years developing himself to be a minister someday after God intercepted his life and made him new. And that's what he saw for Corinth. He says, I know the mess that this city is. 
one of my sermons I preached last week, I said, hey, can you imagine the church, people getting saved, coming in, and we were talking about the, the temple of Aphrodite and the, the forced prostitution that was required. Well, what happens when those people get saved and start joining your church? And what happens when they come in and somebody goes, oh, I know you, because they were the person who bought them. That's awkward. And here Paul is saying, but the gospel, the story of the gospel, this ability to address the deepest need of our heart is not money. We don't need $700 million pastors. We need the gospel to go forward. We need the gospel to go forward because that changes hearts. If we want our neighborhood to change, it's through the gospel. The kingdom we build is God's kingdom and we will work hard to never make it our own name or our own individuals. We won't buy a private jet, and if we need to put that on the wall, that's fine. Story City, we won't buy a private jet. To remind us, if nothing else, how we can care for those around us. But we'll be a church that's generous to those who serve and use our time and money well, so that what? The gospel can go forth. When we have healthy leaders, and well cared for, the gospel goes forth best. Church, foregoing our rights isn't bad. We follow a savior who's already demonstrated that to us. And, and by the way, this building here is mortgage-free. Did you know that? You know why? Because there's people that are long gone who said, I'm gonna give up my rights that this building, you stand on the shoulders of people you don't even know about. Down in, and guess what? The, the, the Burbank campus has the same thing. We have actually have the original founding members on there. And there's names on there that I'll never get to meet. But guess what? The gospel is still going forward because of their generosity. We think so often in terms of my generation and my time and in my lifetime, I want to see X, Y, Z. But the reality is God doesn't have that sort of myopic kind of horizon. Because guess what? Part of the reason we have that framed in our church is to remember those and to go, hey, maybe 15, 20 years from now, somebody will stand on this. Or maybe someday my daughter will be singing at Granada Hills. <laughs> because I'm standing on someone's shoulder who spent the time to give me the gospel so that I could give the gospel to my kids, so that I could give the gospel to some of you in this room who can give the gospel to somebody else who can change lives. We're not that much different than Corinth. I've always said it, our downtown campus, we want messy church. We want those who are coming in who are gonna go, I need the gospel. And we wanna care for them well and we care for that well. Make sense? All right. I'm gonna pray real quick and then I'm gonna walk off. I think that's my job, right? Yes, got it. All right, God, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for your generosity to us. We thank you that you were, you gave all so that the gospel might be established and we might go forth. I pray that you would help this church in Granada Hills, that we would be a church of generosity, that we would be a church that understands the beauty of our rights and understands exactly how to give them in such a way that the gospel may go forth. I pray that you bless our time. In your name, amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. 
If you'd like to join us in person, our services are Sundays at 10 a.m. and we're located at 11011 Havenhurst Avenue in Granada Hills. Find us on Instagram at StoryCityGH or online at StoryCityChurch.com. Go and be the church.